As you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to the latest episode of Dear Founder. I'm so excited for you to meet today's guest. Not only does she hail from the University of Michigan, but Rachel Rochelle is an amazing Chicago-based PR executive and mom who took a leap and went out on her own. I've admired her since I met her, and I've watched her hustle diligently to find and achieve her own success. With nearly 20 years of agency and client-side PR experience, Rachel started 3PR, a Chicago-based lifestyle PR firm with a focus on food and lifestyle clients. As you'll see on today's episode, Rachel has an innate passion for finding, crafting, and sharing compelling stories. She has a ton for us. Before going out on her own, she worked as the Director of Marketing and Communications for Hospitality Group, the Director of Media Relations at Olson, and in PR roles for Leo Burnett and Burson Marsteller. Rachel has also worked as a freelance writer, contributing to national and local outlets, including Glamour.com, PopSugar, NBCChicago.com. She's also appeared as a guest on Check Please, Windy City Live, CBS, WGN, ABC, Fox, The Steve Harvey Show, and the national NBC program, First Look. One of the topics we're going to discuss today is Rachel's passion for storytelling and philanthropy and how she gives back through her work in an incredibly meaningful way. We're also sharing Rachel's life as a mom to twin daughters, Kayla and Shira, and wife to Ruben, and how they impact her on a daily basis. So come on in. I can't wait for you to meet Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited. I was seriously so excited that you accepted. And I just, you have built something that is really so amazing And I know that when you were starting your agency, you went out on a limb and you took a leap like a lot of us. And I know from past conversations that, um, you know, you were really nervous in making this change and (laughs) to say the least. Right. So, I mean, I think first and foremost, I would love for you to kind of share your story and how you got to where you are today. So I'll go in chronological order. So when I was younger, I mean, I always idolized my dad. I mean, I think a lot of people look up to their parents and think I want to be like them. So my dad was a headhunter and I always thought it was really fascinating to take two things and put them together. So somebody needed to hire somebody, somebody needed a job, and you could be this professional yenta and connect the dots and help make people happy. So for a very long time, I thought I will be just like my dad and I will become a recruiter. And then in college, I started to take courses through the business school, and I realized that marketing existed as a discipline. And I thought, this really speaks to me. I love being creative. I love this idea of communications. I think there's another path forward for me. So 
I mean, you know, from going to University of Michigan at the time, people said, oh, if you're in the business school, your ticket is written, like you're done. It's not going to be hard at all. Like the worst part was just getting admitted to business school, except that I was a class coming off of 9-11 and the job market changed drastically. And so when I left Ann Arbor in 2003, jobs were in short supply and it was incredibly competitive. And I felt like, how am I going to launch my career? Nobody is hiring in communications right now. Marketing is not critical. And I think, as you know, too, it's just like a really, really tenuous time. So yep, it was the first budget to go from every single company, agency. Yeah. And it's funny what you look back at your younger self and you think about sort of this moxie you had and this intensity that wasn't even warranted. I mean, I was... 21 graduating college and knew nothing, but I was positive that I could not go home again. I felt like there would be what I called the Minnesota malaise. If I went home, I would move in with my parents. I would not be independent. I would just like succumb to being a kid all over again. So I told my parents, I'm moving to Chicago no matter what after I graduate college. And they said, good luck. You're cut off. We helped with college. Everything after is yours. And so condensed story, I ended up moving to Chicago the week I graduated college. And an internship came through at a PR firm called Burson Marsteller. And that ended up launching my PR career. And I really attribute it to running into a camp counselor on a beach. And he said to me, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I'm 21. I said, I don't know. I want to work in marketing. And he goes, you need to talk to my friend. He'll point you in the right direction. And 20 years later, that friend is still somebody in my life who's been a mentor and a supporter and a guidepost for me and, and changed my life and helped me get my first internship. So you never know who you're going to run into. I was going to say, it's really all about the connections and leveraging your relationships because we all have those, those stories. And I love that you shared that because I think sometimes people don't understand who's in their contact list point because I could not have formally said I'm networking when I was doing these things in my 20s. I was like, I'm being friendly or I'm being curious or I'm allowing myself to cross paths with people over and over again. I didn't really understand that there was something more meaningful in place. I was just willing to hustle and talk to anybody because I felt like at some point something will coalesce. And so this combination of like being young and ambitious and slightly desperate amounted to some really good initial networking. And, but to your point, it didn't have to be an official networking session. It didn't have to be like, let me take you for coffee and like pick your brain or whatever it might be. It was just really you being you, right? Yeah. I often tell people when I, I try to pay it forward and counsel people who are at younger stages of their career. And I say, forge relationships, take coffees, go out on a limb. I think it's so paramount. Every job I've ever gotten, every client I've ever gotten working on my own has been through some sort of introduction from somebody else. I never end up going in blind. And I think that says something about the power of interconnectedness. So without going too long, I ended up at this firm called Burson Marsteller. I learned about PR. I really love storytelling and communications. And from Burson, I went to Leo Burnett and learned about corporate comms from the advertising side of things. And from there, I went to a firm that was called Dig Communications. And Pete Marino, who was the founder, became this incredible mentor and big brother figure. And then Dig grew and became a bigger agency. So I just logged all these years in consumer PR. And as I did it, I started to think about what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at, what I'm drawn to. And I think it was a process of discovery. Like working in PR agencies in your 20s, it's such a formative time. Like 
you're dating, you're forging friendships, you're moving around, you're, you're building yourself and you're telling your own story. And so a lot of those lessons were learned in tandem with my career. Um, I ended up having twin daughters and everybody said to me, and it was kind of disappointing, like, oh, you're having twins. You're, you're probably going to stay home. Right. And I said, I, w- I wish I'd had the confidence at the time to just vocalize that I found that really insulting. No one said to my husband, oh, you're having twins. I, I bet you're going to stay home with the kids. So despite the fact that, you know, I had the salary and I had the, um, he worked on commission. So I had the steady salary. I had the health insurance. I was absolutely going back to work. People were really, really questioning if that was my move. And so as I'm prone to do, when people start to doubt something, I feel like I double down. So I went back to work. I really committed to being a working mom, but I felt this stirring, which you might have too, which is now that I have kids and I want to work, I want that work to be more meaningful to me. If I'm going to be away from my kids, I want it to be for a reason that fills my bucket in a different way. And so after seven years at this PR firm that like I grew up with and felt so attached to, I felt ready to spread my wings a little bit. I ended up going in-house for a restaurant group. It was a big leap. It was a big change. It was my first time being in-house. It was the restaurant group's first time having a director of marketing and communications. It was an eye-opening experience to say the least. It was... Um, insanely challenging, but the silver lining, I think of really hard experiences is that you learn what you don't want moving forward. And it can be a very powerful catalyst for what you do want. And so after wrapping up my tenure there, I was like, I'm never going to work for someone again, who diminishes my joy. And whatever I do next has to feel good for me as a person. And it has to be better for my family and well-being. And then I accidentally started my company, which has been an almost five-year venture at this point. So talk to me a little bit about what does 3PR mean? I know there's some meaning behind the name and kind of what you're focusing on now. When I say accidental entrepreneur, when I left my restaurant gig, I did not have a plan. And that is really foreign to me. I thought, I'll go find a safe job. I will go work for someone else. But in the meantime, I'll freelance. And so I sent a big email to everybody I knew saying, here's my contact information. I am available for freelance opportunities. Please think of me. And then very fortunately, I think because of these years of networking deliberately and accidentally, things started rolling in. And the next thing I knew, I was accidentally running a business. I had clients, they were on retainer. I was doing PR. I was beholden to them and just myself. And for a year, I didn't even get a real website. I did not get anything but a Gmail. I mean, I was so, so tentative to make sure that I did not overcommit to a business that didn't have legs. So 12 months of just doing things out of my Gmail account, testing the waters, making sure that I had a case for going into business. And then finally, I realized I needed to formalize it. And when it came to choosing a name, I went through a myriad of options. It's really hard to name a business. And finally, one night over dinner, My accountant said, you need to turn in your paperwork. So like, let me know the name by tomorrow. And so my husband and I said, we are not leaving dinner until we have this name. And so we're going back and forth. And the number three just carries a lot of weight in so many ways. Like if you look at literature, things happen in threes. It's like a really important number in storytelling. If you think about PR, it takes three things to make a trend story. Once you have three things, you can make a case that there's a thing happening. I liked the client formula of client plus me equals results. That's three. But the real meaning behind it, the one that like speaks to me on a more guttural level, is that at one point, 
pregnant with twins. I had three heartbeats in one body. And that is a really specific and unique thing that happened to me. And so the number three really hits home. And so I named it 3PR. And I felt really attached to that concept ever since. Isn't it interesting? I love how you share. I love that story completely. And I've heard you say it before, which is why I wanted you to share it. But you you bring up a point in sharing that story and that you don't need to have a plan. And you bring up this very powerful way of communicating with people. And that is tapping into your network and sending an email. And the number one thing that I tell business owners, and I, I usually ask, I'll say, did you send, well, did you send an email to everyone you know? And nine times out of 10, the people, the person will say to me, oh my God, I didn't. And to hear you share that and how you basically accidentally launched a business, the way most people intend to launch a business is so powerful because it just speaks to one relationships two, the power of communication, and three, just people valuing you throughout your career. I mean, you have built this contact list and I'm sure when you sent that email, people were like, okay, like now's my chance to hire her because I couldn't hire her before, right? And so it's funny how kind of things work out that way, right? Like, and then here you are. (laughs) I love that you're pulling that thread because sometimes it's hard when you're in it to actually see how things connect. And it's nice to have these conversations and put the dots together. But one thing I'm kind of amazed about over and over again is that people are uncomfortable asking for things. And I get it. I do. But my entire job in PR is asking for things that people don't necessarily want to do. Write a story about my client, put my client on TV, do this thing with my client without money changing hands. And so I'm very comfortable from a polite yet persistent vantage point of trying to get things moving by requesting something of someone else. And I feel like because the discomfort that exists for other people has really been diminished on my side, I am okay putting myself out in the world and maybe getting no as an answer. I get told no all the time. So it's not that it doesn't matter to me, but it doesn't stop me. And so that enabled me to go out there and say, I'm available. Like, Do you want to meet? Do you want to have coffee? Do you want to do this? I've never, and knock on wood, this could change at any moment. I have never proactively pitched a piece of business. I've always had business come in the door, but I think it's because I put myself out there as I am available, open, and receptive. So let's have a conversation. And I think that is such an important point to make, especially to other founders and entrepreneurs and people starting their businesses. You don't want to, of course, wait for things to come to you, but you didn't wait you put yourself out there in a way that is still putting yourself out there. Like you were proactive in a very not in your face, but here's the information kind of way. And to say that you launched a whole business off of that. And I've seen it happen too. It's happened to me. And I think that people just really underestimate the power of their networks and the power of their own communications. And it's so important, I think, to re-share that story time and time again and also offer examples like that because, you know, one of the things that I wanted you to share was this agency, like, how do you get your clients? And I was going to give you two things that I think are practical tips for somebody else. So once I sent that big, scary email that I'm available, i.e. I'm unemployed, but I am open to You were nervous, right? I mean, I- Oh my God, Lindsay. I had 
let me just set the stage when I was unemployed and I sent out this email. We had a new mortgage. I had twins in daycare. I had no salary. My husband worked on commission. I was on Cobra. I mean, everything about it was terrifying. I mean, I, I baseline, we come from a place that we did have savings and we have supportive family, but we were in a very fraught life stage in the sense of like, we had just bought a place. We had twins. A lot of mm-hmm. things felt up in the air. And I had never, ever since I was 15, not had a job. So I, I don't want to make it sound as though like I sent an email and then everything worked out, but I sent this email. And then what I did, actually, my dad said, take a break, take a couple of weeks to decompress from your last job and get ready. And I ignored that advice because I was an anxious person. And so what I did instead is that for the next two weeks, I booked four to six coffee meetings every single day. And I mean, I just reached out to people and I didn't say, hey, are you hiring? God, no. I reached out to people and said, hey, I'd love to catch up. I'd love to hear what's going on in your world. I'd love to chat a little bit. Can we brainstorm? Because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know who I wanted to be my next client. I just had faith that if I had conversations, things would open up. I wanted to create the space and the energy for things to transpire. And the only way I could do that was by having a lot of really productive in-person conversations. And so for two weeks, I ran all over the city and I had a whole bunch of coffees and I practiced my, sort of like my elevator pitch about myself, what I'm up to, what I wanna do next. I listened to other people's stories. I gave them ideas. I mean, it was really fun because I'm a hyper extrovert and I like these kind of things. And at the end of the two weeks, you know, knock on wood, a lot of things just kind of started to transpire. Not that every coffee meeting led to something, but somebody might say, oh, you know who you should talk to? You know who's looking for PR? Oh, you know, it might be a good idea. I also advise people when they're in their hyper networking stage, if they really have a clear idea of what they want to do next, end every meeting by saying, hey, is there anybody else you know that I should talk to? Or do you have anybody in this space that you think might be able to to grab a few minutes with me? I truly believe at people's core, they want to be helpful and they want to pay it forward, which is my second piece of advice that I then in my own life feel so grateful that people have done it for me, that I am constantly trying to connect people. I went out to dinner on Saturday night with an old client and her husband and an old coworker and his wife, and I introduced them and they're now going into business together. And we had this beautiful celebration of their new venture. And I only did that because I like connecting people and then something came of it. So I think if people want to be the beneficiary of networking, they also have to be the benefactor. They have to do it A thousand percent. Like I, I, you are like speaking my language, you know that to the core. I mean, everything that you're saying right now is what I believe a good business person and founder needs to embody. And it's, it's not, So it's not being self-serving. You have to think about the greater good. And to your point, it comes back to you tenfold. Try to take a transactional approach because I feel like that defeats the purpose. If I'm only helping somebody with the end in mind and that end is me, it's not going to work. But when I connect people because I believe in them or I like them or I think they're talented or I feel like my contribution is to put those people in contact with each other, that's the reward. And then later, if things come, like, great. Oh, I really believe percent. you have to release the intention of helping yourself or it backfires. A thousand percent. It's, it, I, and I love how you say you created the space because you did. And that's, that's exactly what needs to happen for success to happen. It's so funny that you say 
everything that you just said. I was with a friend last week who is a graphic designer and I had referred her to a client of mine and she said, well, like maybe we should work something out where like you'd get a cut or whatever. And I said, no, I said, that's not how I want to run my business. I said, I want to refer really good people who I believe in to my clients. And if you think I'm really good, you can refer me too. I would rather it come back to me that way versus a hundred dollar cut of whatever you're doing. That seems so it defeats the purpose, right? Like I want to build my network of great people that I refer to my own clients and I would love to be a part of yours. And I think that is just so what you said, you know, about creating the space and paying it forward and networking. And it's just that all is territory that comes with being a business person. And I think a lot of people don't realize it, right? I agree with you. I mean, I think for you, it comes really naturally. And I understand for other people, it might not be part of their natural skill set, but everybody can do it. Everybody knows somebody. And I feel like it's taking the final step. How many times do you think somebody thinks, oh, you know who should talk to that person or, you know, what would be a good email to send, but then they just don't send it or they don't make the intro. I feel like my bias and that what I encourage other people to do is take the final step, send the email, make the phone call, do the thing that has the potential to like putting my two friends in touch who are now opening a business together. I mean, that that is a really specific example, but it felt so wonderful. Um, The other thing I wanted to share, because I love the concept of this podcast and helping female founders is I only had two rules for myself when I started my business. And I think everybody has their own version of a mission statement. People can come up with their own value list. For me, it was just really, really two specific things. One is that I only want to work on businesses that interest me. And that might sound narrow, but I'm the kind of person that cannot fake it very well. So if I'm not genuinely interested in what my client is selling, then I'm probably not going to be the best mouthpiece and spokesperson for it. So I work with food brands that I eat myself. I work with lifestyle brands that I buy myself. I am all in on my clients because they speak to my life as a as a mom, as a friend, as somebody who cares about quality of food and the environment and keeping family safe. Like, so all my clients are a reflection of my life and I never, ever feel disingenuous promoting them. I'm never phoning it in. And the second thing is no assholes. And it can sound flippant, but I really mean it. I've, I've had some really difficult people that I've encountered professionally. And I can often find myself in situations where as a people pleaser, I want that person to like me. I want to prove that I'm good at what I do. I want to somehow show that I can get on their good side. And it's it's not a healthy dynamic. And I finally stepped back and realized there is an archetype out there in business that will always exist. And I do not need to engage with them. I actually took on a short-term project for a really big brand that was totally in my space of clean eating. And I did this six-week project and they said, this was great. Will you keep working with us? And I said, thank you so much, but no. And I was very polite about my my plate's full. I'll refer you to somebody else. But then I had a private side conversation with somebody who reported to the CEO. And I said, I just want you to know that the CEO is immensely talented, but he's a really difficult personality. He wasn't very respectful of my time. He wasn't transparent about what he was doing. And that put me in a bad position with the media. I wish you all the best of luck. I hope you find a great PR partner, but I will flag for you that this will make it difficult moving forward. And then I called my parents. I said, I finally did it. I broke up with like a toxic male CEO. It's hard. And that is, oh my God, that is the the hardest thing is 
breaking up with a client and especially breaking up with a toxic client because it's to some degree, almost like an abusive relationship, right? It's absolutely an abusive like, relationship. Yeah, you're worried about what the fallout's going to be and what are what's going to happen to me. What are going to be the repercussions? You know, is this person going to talk badly about me? Are they going to damage my own reputation? And I love that you shared that story because I think not enough, especially women in business, stick up for themselves in that regard. And I think people need to know that it's okay to break up with a client or to leave a job or to make that leap because of a toxic situation. Lindsay, I'm so glad we're exploring this because I think it's a really critical topic. I mean, when I started 3PR, I said yes to everything because... I didn't have the luxury of saying no. Right. So some of my early days, I said yes to things that didn't feel authentic to my two rules and weren't feeling good. And so I had to, a couple months in, like that early, take a client that every time I saw his name in my inbox, my stomach sunk. Like I had a physical reaction. Well, and that defeats the that. whole purpose of why you're doing this, right? Yeah. So I had to very politely and very carefully wrap it up because that amount of money was not worth feeling sick to my stomach. And so everything I was doing was fear-based. So I wasn't doing my best work because I was just nervous about him being upset with me. And so I've had to go through this exercise a couple of times in almost five years, but I feel really good that where I sit today, every client I work with, I would go out to dinner with and I would happily have a multi-hour meal and sit with them because I know about their spouses or their kids or their lives or some of them, I am socializing with my clients now. That feels good. I've created a community of people I work with and work for that line up with my values and that I like as human beings. And then the people that have made me feel sick to my stomach or unappreciated or disrespected or whatever it may be, even though it's a client service business, I don't have to service them. There are plenty of other people they can approach, but I don't need it. A hundred percent. I oh, I love that you shared that, Rachel. I think just more people need to develop that mantra and really take that advice and and heed that advice because it, it's hard to do. It is hard to do. I'm 40. I feel like it's taken me, a lot of people don't want to talk about how old they are or things like that, but like I'm 40 years old. I've been in PR for 18 years. It has taken me at times a comically long time to figure out what works for me and what doesn't work for me and to let go of patterns and norms that that don't serve me. I mean, when you're at a PR agency, you do not get to choose the clients you work no. on. And so I worked with some really, really hard clients, but I didn't feel like I was able to step back because I was an employee and the client mattered and you're sort of entrenched in this bad dynamic. And again, when you're in your twenties, it's just so easy to say yes, or like not feel like you have the power or the ability to create boundaries. And so Later in my adulthood, I feel like I'm finally exerting that control that I wasn't able to earlier. So if anybody listening is in any of these situations, I would just say you do have the ability to stop a situation that does not serve you, is toxic, emotionally unhealthy, doesn't promote your growth. I mean, you you can do that. And I wish I'd been able to do it earlier. And don't you feel that in doing that, it takes you so much further with all your other clients with yourself personally, with your family life, all of those, all of those three, those three things that I just mentioned are all impacted when you're in a toxic relationship at work. And so by having the ability to really say no, to change the situation, to cut off the situation, 
you're making yourself a better person. I don't want to rehash too much of one particular of situation, but I, when I left the restaurant job, I was, I was in a sort of fragile place about what to do next. I was not feeling like my most confident, competent self. And I was having stomach aches and I was anxious and it was affecting my parenting. And my husband said the best thing to me because I was just really angst ridden about my next move and like where to go. And he said, Rachel, go make new money. And what he meant is release the past. You do not need to dwell on it. That situation is over. That person is not your boss anymore. Go start fresh. And working for myself has been not only the most fulfilling thing I've ever done professionally, it has been the most lucrative thing I've ever done professionally by a large margin. And so the me that sent that email, hi, everybody, I'm available for freelance work had no idea that me almost five years later would be able to have a conversation with you and say, I love my business. I love my clients. This is helping to send my girls to college. We were able to buy another home. Like all of these things transpired because I tried and I took the leap and I didn't always believe in myself, but eventually I built up enough proof points where I thought, I guess I really am an entrepreneur and this is a real business and I am doing this. And I'm really I'm so proud, proud of, of it. <laughs> and you should be proud of it. And then One of the other things that I want to talk about that you also should be very proud of, and you talk a lot about filling your own bucket, you mentioned that earlier in the conversation, is you have done a lot of nonprofit and pro bono work, and you do a lot to help support small business and women-owned businesses and people in the food business who have smaller restaurants. I would really like for you to get into a little bit about Between Bites and PR for Good and what that is and what that means. My favorite topics. So I'll start by saying, I think like many people in the pandemic, I started to ask myself, what the hell am I doing? Like literally like day to day, what was I doing? And also big picture. And when we were in the depths of it, PR did not feel very important and it did not feel very necessary. And I just wanted to take a good look within and make sure that I was doing something with my life that I would be proud of later. And so I call it the legacy moment. I thought, you know, in 20 years, if I'm looking back on my career, what am I proud of? What am I excited to talk about with my kids? What are the things that in the rear view mirror, I'm really, really glad that I did. And although I, I love my client work and I feel really attached to it, I want to make sure that I had enough legacy in my career that I could feel good about later. And that to me is giving back. You know what I mean? Helping other people for the sake of helping other people is the real legacy. And the advantage of being in PR is that I do have connections to the media and I do have the ability to move stories forward because that's part of my day-to-day work. So um, I connect. One thing I wanted to talk about earlier that I didn't, I could put on the sidelines is the importance of having a support network in your job and people who are your cheerleaders and champions and advocates and also like listen to you vent. So there's three other women that have become my absolute support system. Amy Kasky Berger, Nikki Grill and Morgan Bellack. We're all solopreneurs and we all run our own PR businesses and we become really united. And we decided that we would come together and create PR for good. And the four of us would provide free PR services to female and BIPOC founders because it's become incredibly evident that female business owners and BIPOC business owners are not getting the share of the spotlight they deserve. And part of it is because PR is expensive. And so if you don't have funding, 
and you don't have these financial resources, you can't necessarily hire somebody to tell your story, which means you're not in the press, which means this cycle's perpetuated where you're just not getting the attention you deserve. So we thought we do not have millions of dollars to donate, but we do have our time and our expertise. So let's do it. So roughly a year ago, we launched PR for Good and we said, it's really simple. Anybody can apply as long as you're a woman or a BIPOC founder and you have not had previous PR support. And we have gotten 135 applicants who've reached out to us and said, we would love some help, which was way more than we expected. And then I'd also like to credit Tanya Babbage at ABC7 because she was an inspiration for starting PR for Good. And she's been a really great supporter. She's booked our clients on the news. She just had an office hour session with us. And we love it. We've worked with three clients so far. One ended up on the Today Show. One ended up on Good Morning America. We are helping to boost their businesses. They are so grateful and they're so kind and appreciative. And it creates this complete cycle of goodwill where they're really happy, which makes us feel fulfilled. So we want to work harder to do it for them. So out of kind of a dark time came a really beautiful initiative. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite small business tools, Canva. This tool is like having a design pro in your back pocket. From social media assets to one-sheeters and even video files, you can legit make anything on it. I've been using it for years and I don't know what I ever did without it. To get started with Canva, go to partner.canva.com slash dearfounder today and check out more of my favorite tools on my Instagram at Lindsay Pinchuk. You know, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because there are probably some people listening who are like, how does, how does this person have time to give away their services for free? And, but I mentioned this because I want you to talk about the fact that it's not for free and kind of what it does for you and, and how, and how it does fill your bucket. Because I think that the, that what you are doing is such an important part of being a business owner and a founder and a female founder. And I do come across people, many people from time to time who just could never even imagine doing something like that for free because they're just short-sighted about the benefits. And, and I, the world would just be such a better place if there were more you in the world. Like seriously, because it's yeah. like you just embody what every business owner should, should embody. And like, and you should be very proud. You really should. You should be very proud. Proclaimed. But um, there's a quote that I'm going to butcher, but I wanted to answer your devil's advocate point, which is if you want to do something, you'll find time. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. Right. I mean, I definitely find time to go on Instagram every single day. So the way that PR for good functions is because it's not just me. There is no way I would do it if it was on my shoulders alone. But because there's four of us and we are all accountable to each other and we all really like each other and we all feel really connected to this the balance and the time and the commitment is distributed pretty well. So the first month we worked with Nikenya Collins of Coco Chili Foods in Chicago. I love food. I feel pretty informed about the restaurant space in Chicago. So I drove a little bit more of that one. But when we worked with um, Prickly, which is a cactus water, Morgan and Nikki are really experienced in mission-driven companies and emerging beverage brands. They took the lead. So we all do different things. And make sure that nobody feels they have like an undue amount of to-dos on their shoulders. I think that's how it comes together. And just think about it in general. Anytime you want to do something, anybody, you get it done as long as it's something you want to do. And 
I'm super busy. Obviously, like everybody else, it's, it's a lot to juggle, especially with kids. But because this makes me feel so fulfilled and because I feel like I'm operating from a higher place than myself when I do pro bono work and I'm helping people out of the goodness of my heart, I want to carve out the moments to do it. It does not feel like an obligation. It kind of feels like a blessing. And I, and I know that sounds cheesy, but no, I, I got this beautiful email from Nikenya, our first PR for good client. And the Chicago Bears chose four restaurants in all of Chicago to provide $30,000 worth of free marketing support. And they chose her. And she sent us this beautiful email and she said, my success is your success. And I just like went back in my chair and I was like, holy shit, this idea that we had is changing her life. And to your point, and I think a big point of all of this and, and why I wanted you to share this is success is not always measured in the dollars. And there is, I can see it in your face and I can hear it in your voice. Like you get so much from this work that you're doing and it probably doesn't even feel like work because you love it. Right. And, and I feel like you probably get this too, Lindsay. It's, it's really hard to be a working mom in the sense that there are many moments where my kids feel like they're getting the short end of the stick because I have to work or I have a meeting or they have aftercare. I mean, there's definitely a constant trade-off. But what I tell myself, and I, and I hope it's valid, is that, again, one day when they're old enough to really wrap their heads around mom's career, I want them to see that I spent my time away from them doing something that they can be proud of. You know what I mean? I want them to emulate this idea of giving back and of service and of supporting other people. I'm not just on my computer because I'm sending emails for a, a roundup of the best burger. I, I'm sending emails because I'm trying to help a woman build her passion and her legacy in a space that she couldn't have otherwise. And I'm trying to help five first-generation immigrants who went from pharmacy school to cactus water create a viable business that they can lean on in the future. So it, it, it's a lot of trade-offs and it's complicated. I really believe the working mom thing is extraordinarily complex. But if I can model for them what this looks like and one day they can wrap their heads around it, I feel like I will have been successful. And this work you're doing, it comes back 10, 15, 20, 100 fold. And, and I believe that. And I know you believe that too, or you wouldn't be doing it. Do I, I feel extremely connected to what I'm doing because it's something I've made. Like my work at this point is very much a reflection of who I am and how I operate in the world. I feel like 3PR, PR for good and me are sort of this integrated combination and it, and it, everything serves the other part of it, if that makes sense. Like my kids know my clients. Like we went to the grocery store and they saw evergreen waffles and they're like, oh my gosh, evergreen. Like you work with evergreen. Like she must be famous. I mean, and, and they see Judy stuff and they're like, we know Judy. I mean, there's such a, a point of pride. I mean, I work with the safety brand, Judy. We worked on a children's book and I brought it home and my daughter, Kayla showed her friend and she goes, Hey, my mom helped write that book. And I just beamed because it's like she understood what I'm doing. Those are the moments that are absolutely priceless. And those are the moments that you need to bottle up, right? Like on those bad days, remember those moments because this is why you're doing that. And having those moments where your kids do feel proud and they do, they just might not share it all the time. But those little sound bites, they go the distance. I know that. Yeah, I... 
I feel like I'm raising girls that are hyper aware of what careers look like and what accomplishment can look like based on the, the books they're reading and what they're exposed to. And and I think that's wonderful. I mean, I have one daughter that wants to work for NASA, like everything is about space. And I have another daughter that has her hands in a million things. But the common thread to me is they don't see boundaries. They only see possibility. Which is amazing. Can you, can you touch a smidge upon Between Bites? Because I do want to share that as well. So um, I sound like I'm just always making things. Um, no, so again, but like you have so many great things that you've done. I, I mean, I want to share it because I also think, you know, it's like, I'm like, oh, share about Between Bites and, and share about this. But this is you, like, this is your story. And this is your, you are the common thread of all of these things, right? And these are things that are very important to you. That this is why people would hire you to do their to do their PR, you know, and these are important bits. And I also think it's important to show people and to let people know that even when you start a company and you have your own business, you can do other things. And I think that there there are just so many people who get very overwhelmed and bogged down with like the day to day of like how do I found and start a business? And there's so much to do. And yes, there is. And I'm not taking away from that. But you have found a way to do other things that tie back to your business to some regard, but they're a branch or an extension of your business and they help fulfill other spaces in your life that need to be fulfilled. And Between Bites is one of them. And for me, it's not a side hustle. It's all hustle. You know what I mean? I I don't carve out different parts of my life. It ends up kind of all being integrated. But for Between Bites, this again goes to the power of you never know what will happen when you sit down with people. And so I had gone to dinner on a whim with a woman named Liz Grossman and a woman named Molly Each. And we all kind of knew each other, but the three of us had never had dinner together. And in the course of one dinner, Molly, who is an exceptional storyteller, starts telling us about this live lit series and how cool it is when you go and you sit in the audience and you hear somebody share a true story. And there's this really transformative power of being in the audience is somebody sharing a true life tale. And it just, there's like something that sparks in the air. And we're like, you know what? That's really cool. That sounds amazing. And then we also started talking about the state of food journalism in Chicago. And I mean, this was, I didn't even have kids yet. So this must've been like eight, nine years ago, but it felt like a lot of listicles and roundups. And we said, oh, we just love when people can share like a true in-depth, thoughtful story. Like it's what's going on in the chef's head. Like what's happening with this restaurant tour? Like like getting into the meat of it. So we decided on a lark to create an event called Between Bites and we would do it one time and we would invite people to tell their stories in front of an audience. So we would have five or six people in the food industry, whether they were journalists or chefs or sommeliers or restaurant owners, we would invite people we were friends with or in the industry, we would sell tickets. And then at the end of the night, we would donate all the money to the charity of the restaurant's choice that hosted the event. And it seemed like a pretty simple thing. And because the best stories are told between bites over a meal, we felt like that was a fitting name. So we held this one event and we didn't have a microphone. It was so scrappy. It was just like, let's see if anybody shows up. And actually it went pretty well. And we had a really fantastic time and the stories were killer and people were engaged and there was food and there was drink. And it was just like, do you remember when events were a thing? Like oftentimes events started to feel very template and this felt like a little different. So we just said, let's do it again. And we ended up doing it for, oh my God, seven or eight years. We raised over $60,000 for nonprofits. We would host events sometimes up for 150 people. We had 
like our dream people read. Like we chased Stephanie Izard for years and then she read once and then she read twice and then she invited us to be part of her events. I mean, we had Jill Flam. Like we just had this incredible group of people as readers. I mean, now, now obviously things are different because of COVID and the pandemic and kind of what happened, but are like, is there, are there plans for many, any between bites in the future? Interesting timing. A text thread has just started. That's all I can say. Okay. I mean, we would love to bring it back. We even did one in Minneapolis. We were like at one point getting very ambitious and thinking could between bites hit other cities um, and COVID. But I, I do think under the right circumstances, it would be really special to bring it back. And actually, before podcasting was so ubiquitous, we had the thought of we should record these events because maybe people would want to hear the stories later. So we have a Between Bites podcast that is in existence that's been pretty dormant, but you can go back and listen to people tell their stories. And it's just really fun to hear the audience engagement and the laughter and the reactions. So I we need I would to love share to this. It. You guys need to share this and revive it. This is one of those instances where we would put like so much energy in and then we did not take the final step. Like we didn't do all the promotion that we should have done to support Between Bites as a podcast. But I mean, we've had, I don't even know how many readers at this point, if it's like 75 different readers. Amazing. So yeah, that was, that was really special because writing, reading, storytelling, narrative, that's all very close to my heart. And so I just loved the experience of helping foster that. So, I mean, you have shared so many great sound bites, so many great tips. I mean, your your story is incredible. I mean, for someone who is a storyteller, you definitely know how to share and tell your story. I will tell you that. I I am blown away by you often and always and I follow you. You know that. I I know what you're up to, so I you know, even though we don't talk every day, I I do keep tabs on you. But to kind of wrap this up and put like a nice bow on it, I would love for you to share and, you know, end this, this conversation with just maybe a few different tips for, I know you gave a couple in the beginning, but for someone who's starting now in a service-based business, you know, if you want to maybe throw in some tips for moms, because I think you do an amazing job balancing your life as a mom and as a business owner. And you shared some, some stories about that throughout our conversation today, but I would love just some quick snippet takeaways from you that our audience can really implement as they're starting their own businesses or even as they're revising their own businesses. And try to come up with, I I think I have three for you, like on the fly, but hopefully this will be helpful. So one thing I started doing months and months ago is that I got a journal and I try, if not every Sunday, every couple Sundays to write down intentions And sometimes they're very specific. Like I want this client to be featured in this news outlet. And sometimes it's a little bigger and broader. Like I want to start fall 2021 with a sense of possibility and optimism and create space for things to happen organically. And I think by sitting down and spending a couple minutes writing out my intentions, whether they are uber concrete or a little bit broad, helps get my head in the right space. And then I go back every so often and I look through those intentions and I check off the ones I fulfill. So there's nothing that feels better than when you can fulfill an intention you set. I have been chasing Oprah's favorite things for God knows how long. And my client will be an Oprah's favorite thing. And that's 15 months from the first email I sent to that. And I have Oprah 
on an actual vision board in my office closet. So I think stating your intentions, looking at them, nurturing them, going back to them, it's amazing. How do you know if you're successful if you haven't said what success looks like? So get a journal, write your intentions, go back with regularity and make sure you're staying accountable to yourself. That's number one. Number two is a support system. It can be very lonely to run your own business. I do not have colleagues that I see every day. There is no office. It's my home office. Until a couple months ago, my home office was my kid's playroom. I mean, that's how unprofessional it was. So I think finding people who can be your tribe and who can be your support system and your network is pivotal. I mentioned Amy and Morgan and Nikki before. We have a private Slack group. We Slack every single day. We support each other's clients. We brainstorm for each other. We are there for moral, emotional, all the kinds of support you can offer. And that has made a world of difference. I also have other people that are in the the PR realm and will bounce ideas off each other. We'll do coffees. I think finding people that you trust that will be honest and helpful to you and you can do the same is paramount if you're going to run your own business. You need to make sure there are people looking out for you and that you also show up for them. And then the third thing, which sounds so obvious, but goes back to our earlier conversation is to try. Nothing happens if you don't try. I have this client that sent a cold email at 11 p.m. to Nick Kakonis, the founder of Alinea Group, and she ended up being their general counsel because she sent an email after watching Chef's Table on Netflix. She loves to say you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, which I think is a Wayne Gretzky quote, but it's true. Like, yes. It's just about the try. So what if somebody doesn't write you back? So what if it doesn't lead to anything? When I emailed Oprah's creative director on a Friday afternoon in May 2020, I did not expect that it would lead to my client being Oprah's favorite thing, but I was willing to try. And I actually was willing to try again because he did not write me back the first time. I sent another email. And I think being pleasantly persistent is important. And When we found out that this client would be one of Oprah's favorite things for the 25th anniversary, this huge thing, I like had no chill. I lost my mind. We're on Zoom. I was so excited. And I said, I cannot believe that I emailed you 15 months ago. And he goes, Rachel, persistence pays off. And it felt so validating that he didn't say, man, you were a pain in the ass or like, my God, you wouldn't leave me alone. He said, basically staying with it and seeing it through meant that it actually came to fruition. And so to anybody who's like, oh, I don't have a logo or I don't know if I'm an S-corp or an LLC or I don't have a home office or whatever it is, like there will always be a reason you can't do something. So fuck it, just try it anyways. I had no job, a lot of responsibilities, no idea for my company name, no logo, no website, nothing. I didn't have business cards. I didn't have a plan. I just said, I'm gonna try. Any regrets? Great question. You know, I'll tell you what. I also got connected with a really amazing business coach, Laura Sanchez Greenberg. And we met and she said, how much money do you want to make? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. And she's like, just give me a number that would make you really happy. And so I told her this number and she goes, you're going to sail past that. And I said, Laura, there is no way working in PR, I will ever hit that number. And she goes, just watch yourself. You will. And when I passed that number, I emailed Laura and I said, you were right. And I was wrong. Not only did I pass that number, I'm on my way to this new number. And so what I regret is that it took somebody else to make me believe in myself. I literally created this limiting belief that there was only a certain amount of money I could earn. 
because maybe that's all I deserve to earn or my services didn't warrant that next number. And I felt like that number belonged to somebody else. And I'm very, very grateful that she gave me that glimmer of hope and she gave me that vote of confidence. But my regret is that I myself couldn't do that. I needed somebody else to give me the permission slip and the encouragement to aim that high. But that's okay. You're here and you've done it. And I'm so proud of you. I am. I am so proud of you. (laughs) Even since you and I met like five, six years ago, watching you has been just I'm in awe of you every day and you, you just, you take everything with stride. You balance things so nicely and you should be very proud of yourself. So I want to thank you so much for being my first interview and for being willing to share all of this, because these are such great tips that women need to hear and entrepreneurs need to hear. You don't even need to be a female to hear these tips. I mean, this is, you have an amazing story and I am so excited to share it with the world very unlike me to only talk about myself and not ask questions. So I feel awkward that I've not asked you questions, but please know that I hold you in the same regard. I think you are incredible. I've watched you build something from nothing and absolutely crush it. Now you have a new second act that I certainly want to support and throw my weight behind. So just please know that everything you've said, I feel the exact same way about you. And I'm so proud of what you've done. And I think this podcast will be a game changer for women. Thank you so much. Oh, How awesome was Rachel? I just adore her. And I'm so grateful that she took the time to share her thoughts on this episode of the podcast. There were so many amazing sound bites and so many great tips in today's episode. So some key takeaways for you include, number one, your connections and your relationships matter and can help propel your success in business. Networking is a two-way street. If you want to benefit from networking, you also have to be the benefactor. Number two, Be all in on your clients and the brands that you work with. It makes you that much more trustworthy and will make the work that you're doing for them actually not feel like work sometimes. Number three, it's okay to say no to working with people you just don't want to work with. Number four, create what Rachel calls a legacy moment. Do something that you'll be proud of 20 years from now. Do something that matters. Helping other people for the saking for the sake of helping other people is ultimately your real legacy. Number five, keep track of your intentions and hold yourself accountable. Number six, find a support system. This is key for surviving in your own business. You need to have people who look out for you and you have to do the same for others. Number seven, you must try. Nothing happens unless you try. I can't thank you enough for being here and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Founder. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Founder and join the Dear Founder Facebook community for more discussions to help propel your success in business. You can also go to lindsaypinchuk.com slash freebies to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. We have some amazing guests coming up So please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. If you know someone who's looking to take a leap like Rachel or who has started their own business or is thinking about starting a business, text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Tag me and I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dear Founder. Have an awesome week.